Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Uh, morning and welcome to uh, this webinar uh, being run uh, by AXTA in conjunction with our partners at Future of Finance and being sponsored by uh, Percival Software. My name is Bruce Butterell. I'm the executive director of AXTA. And we're uh, very pleased to be uh, conducting this session uh, for you today. Uh, I was looking at the list of registrants and there's people from uh, uh, all the way across the globe, which is, uh, uh, which is very exciting and, uh, and encouraging. This is a very uh, topical subject uh, for our community. A couple of administrative items uh, <clears throat> before we get started. Uh, if this is your first time connecting to uh, an AXTA webinar over Zoom, uh, please look at the bottom of the, your screen. You'll find an interpretation tab, which is a, a globe with interpretation under it. If you click on that tab, you have an option of listening to whatever language a speaker is speaking in, whether that be English or Spanish. The presentations this morning will be in, in English. Uh, you have an option of clicking on English. And in that case, if someone is speaking Spanish, you will hear the voice of the interpreters. And similarly, you can click on the Spanish option and listen to the interpreter's voice uh, while the presentation is being given. Uh, today's presentation will be entirely in, uh, in English. Uh, we will be taking questions. You can enter a question through the chat or preferably through the Q&A tab at the bottom, either with your name or anonymously. And during the Q&A, if you wish to say something, uh, raise your hand and we'll uh, get you connected to the audio, okay? Uh, with that, I would like to introduce Chris Richardson. Uh, Chris is uh, a longtime friend and partner of uh, of AXTA and is the CEO of Percival Software, uh, a product used by uh, a number of our clients and a number of, sorry, a number of our members. And then looking at the uh, registration list, a number of the markets that are connected uh, here today. So Chris is just going to say a few uh, opening remarks and then uh, pass on to uh, Dominic Hobson uh, for the tokenization uh, talk, okay? Chris, over to you. Thanks, Bruce. I just want, from Percival's side, to ex extend a warm welcome to you on, on what for us is a, a hideous looking November evening. It's very rainy outside. Anyway, I, I, I'm really grateful for both, both of our partners, AXTA and the Future of Finance in, in setting up and facilitating this, this webinar, which is about a very topical subject, uh, tokenization of securities markets, and in particular today, about uh, how, it, uh, how it relates to, to CSDs and, and, and their operations. So I'm sure you don't want to see or hear much more from me. I'm going to hand over immediately to our host, uh, Dominic Hobson from Future of Finance. Thank you all and, and welcome again. Uh, thank you, Chris. I'd like to echo Bruce's comments. I'm very grateful to Percival, uh, both AXTRA and Future of Finance, for making today's discussion possible. 25 years ago, I was working in an industry that was about to be disrupted by a new technology. 
the industry was publishing, the technology was the internet. Our business consisted of writing journalism to fill the space between display advertisements in print magazines, which were then mailed out to people the advertisers wanted to reach. The internet first destroyed the distribution, that's the snail mailing we did. Then it destroyed the revenues, the advertising. Finally, it destroyed the product itself, journalism. It's now impossible to make a decent living in trade publishing. Now that is a familiar story in technological capitalism, but it has a savage twist. We've all laughed, as you can see, at the Western Union executive who dismissed the telephone as having too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. We've laughed at the founder of IBM predicting a world market for maybe five computers. Well, worst of all, we've shuddered at the board of Kodak telling the in-house inventor of the digital camera to take that box away, go away, uh, we never want to see you again, in case he wrecked the market for photograph albums. But I know from personal experience that it's entirely possible to know that your business faces an existential threat, to understand the nature of the threat, and yet to be virtually powerless to do anything about it. That is the sobering reality that faces the central securities depositories of the world today. Blockchain technology, or to be more specific, the tokenization technique derived from blockchain technology is an existential threat to everything that CSDs do. Today, CSDs play a vital role at multiple points in the security services value chain, and it really is a chain, a sequential process in which data is passed between each link in an extended order of intermediation. Each link in the chain depends for its progress on the data received from the previous link in the chain, and each link in the chain must reconcile its data bilaterally and sequentially with the data kept by the other links in the chain. Even simplified like this diagram, it is still a highly complicated, highly intermediated process in which the CSDs are densely involved at five crucial points. Issuance, that's safeguarding the integrity of the issue. Settlement, delivering securities against payment in central commercial bank money. Registration, keeping a record of who owns what. Custody, keeping securities in an electronic omnibus or beneficial owner account. And finally, asset servicing, providing news of corporate actions and delivering their value to investors. Now, tokenization replaces that chain with a network in which data is either shared simultaneously or it's shared so fast that it might as well be simultaneously. Tokenization threatens every basic function of a CSD issuance. Instead of issuing securities into a CSD, companies issue tokens into the digital wallets of investors or indeed their custodians or other advisors. Trading. Instead of being listed and traded on a stock exchange through brokers, tokens are exchanged directly between the wallets of investors on a blockchain-based network. Settlement. Instead of being settled by delivery of securities against payment in central bank money, purchases are settled by delivery of security tokens against payment tokens between digital wallets. Registration. Instead of the CSD keeping a register of investors and updating it every time a trade is settled, every transaction is recorded on the blockchain-based ledger. Custody. Instead of securities being held in accounts at the CSD owned by investors or their custodian banking agents, tokens are held in these digital wallets controlled by investors that are either on or off the blockchain-based network. Finally, asset servicing. Instead of corporate actions notifications being issued by CSDs to custodian banks, investors issuing instructions to those custodian banks to pass on to issuers, Smart contracts are built into the security tokens that pay entitlements automatically to owners recorded on the ledger 
of the blockchain-based network as soon as certain conditions for payment, such as the dividend payable per share and the payment date are settled. Now, if this is what happens, the stock exchange that owns many of the people listening today must undergo a metamorphosis into a tokenization platform or die. It also means that your role in issuance is gone, your role in registration is gone, your role in settlement is gone, your role in custody is gone, and your role in asset servicing is gone. And those things are gone because tokenization is not just a merely disruptive technology. It's not one of those modest changes that allow you to cut your costs or reduce your risks. It is a potentially comprehensive shift in the foundations on which the entire securities industry is built. That is why the wrong question to ask is, what does this tokenization mean for our business? The right question to ask is, what is the most efficient end state for the securities industry as a whole? And where precisely will we fit within it? Now, the good news is that a change in the underlying technology paradigm of an entire industry cannot happen overnight. The bad news is that you have absolutely no control over how fast that change will eventually occur. The rate at which tokenization is adopted is going to be driven by hundreds of minor advances in technology, thousands of decisions about costs, investment and competition, and by millions of changes in the perceptions and the behavior of buyers of your services. And those are things over which you have no influence whatsoever. All you can know is this, that these changes are going to upset the existing structure of the industry, that they're going to overturn established competitive positions, and that somewhere in the turmoil created by these vast exogenous changes lie opportunities for CSDs as well as existential threats. And while those uncontrollable changes do their work, all you can hope to do is three things, each of which is much simpler for me to state than it is for you to execute. First, understand what is going on. Secondly, predict the likely evolution of the structure of the industry and the competitive landscape that results. Thirdly, Throw as much resources as you can, by which I mean money and I mean people, at innovations you judge likely to endure and to create new, stable and defensible sources of revenue for the future. So our first problem is to understand what is going on. And this is hard because there is a lot going on and it's happening very fast. Frankly, it's impossible to keep up and still do your day job. You won't find it difficult to find people offering to do that work for you. But as leaders of the CSD industry, you must not let others dictate what you think. You must get into the details yourself, not try to rise above those details. You must shed the ingrained mental maps that have been built up over your career. You must ditch those routine corporate responses to any threat or any opportunity. Above all, you must look for data that can illuminate the terrain which is unfolding before you. Unfortunately, the data in this field is not of the best quality. There are multiple sources. They capture different sets of information. They contradict each other. Double counting is absolutely rife. Definitional problems abound. Methodologies vary. Like is not always being compared with like. And some of the data that would be very useful uh, to analysts like ourselves doesn't even exist at all. However, there is one thing we can see very clearly indeed. Token markets can grow very rapidly. The market capitalization of cryptocurrencies has risen from zero in 2013 to two and a half trillion US dollars today. Half of it attributable to Bitcoin alone and two thirds of it to Bitcoin and Ether, just two of the coins. Coinbase, 
the leading centralized cryptocurrency exchange was valued at 100 billion US dollars at its initial public offering in April this year. The amount of cryptocurrency held in decentralized finance protocols has risen from zero in 2015 to nearly 90 uh, billion dollars today. And the market cap uh, figure is put much higher, 175 billion, or even in one case at 260 billion US dollars. Uniswap, the leading DeFi token exchange, has a market value of over 13 billion US dollars. The value of non-fungible tokens, these unique digital assets I'm sure you've been reading about, that's increased from zero in 2015 to 17 billion US dollars today. The main NFT marketplace, OpenSea, was valued in its most recent fundraising at one and a half billion US dollars. Now these markets don't operate to an eight hour trading day. In fact, they never shut. They're open 24 seven, 365 days a year. And they have grown astonishingly quickly without much institutional support and despite a string of thefts of frauds and of insider dealing scams. The main reason they have grown so quickly is they've cleared the major engineering hurdle by being 100% digital. Unlike most forms of engineering, software can be written, can be tested, can be fixed, can be upgraded very fast at very low cost. The time from concept to market as a result is vanishingly small. There is also intense competition to exploit not just opportunities, but vulnerabilities. Set an alarm for 8 a.m. Alarm set for 8 a.m. So the infrastructures, as well as the products, evolve rapidly. The safe custody of private keys, for example, a topic of intense interest to CSDs, has passed from hot storage through cold storage to hardware <laughs> wallets and from multi-sig to multi-party computation. That's three, if not four, technological eras compacted into just a couple of years. In short, this wave of technology is driven by very young people writing code. Coding is the critical skill which is why Glassdoor reports a 300% annual increase in blockchain-related jobs. It's why DevOps experts, the people who know how to deliver, evolve, and improve digital services at extremely high velocity are the hardest employees of all to recruit. Now, CSDs are not well-placed to attract DevOps engineers, but CSDs are well-placed to understand what is going on. A lot of the output of the software being written will be extremely familiar to anyone working at a CSD. For all the jargon surrounding decentralized finance or DeFi, staking, yield farming, pooling, what is going on in DeFi is what has been going on in finance since the Sumerians invented finance 6,000 years ago as a means of transferring value through time. Lending, trading, asset management, insurance. It's market-based finance, that's all it is. As a CSD, you can be at home in this world if you make the effort to understand it, to engage with it and to work out where you fit within it. Which brings me to the second problem, which tokenization sets for you. How will the industry and the competition evolve? The moment the security services industry is focused on custody, not of security tokens, but of cryptocurrencies. A number of custodian banks, especially in the United States, where the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, the OCC, in July last year, allowed regulated banks to safe keep cryptocurrency. A lot of them now plan to, or indeed already offer, a service for cryptocurrency custody. There are also plenty of independent suppliers of custody services and of hardware and of software to safe keep cryptocurrency. This chart shows there's more than 50 of them, in fact. Cryptocurrency is also where private equity money is being invested. 
more money has been invested in cryptocurrency custody so far this year than in all the previous six years. Custody accounts were a quarter of all private equity investment in all blockchain companies this year. Cryptocurrency exchanges offering custody and independent cryptocurrency custodians make up nearly half the blockchain unicorns to have been born in financial services so far, a unicorn being a company valued at its latest funding at more than one billion US dollars. Now, why, you might ask, is cryptocurrency so hot? The answer is very simple. Institutional investors are buying cryptocurrencies. A survey conducted by ISSA this year of asset managers and asset owners found one in seven was investing in asset-backed or native security tokens already, and up to two in five expected to do so within two years. The cryptocurrency is not the real opportunity. Tokenization is the combined value of eight tokenizable asset classes. We need the next slide, please, Viviana. The combined value of eight tokenizable asset classes, that's equities, bonds, real estate, mutual funds, privately managed assets, including privately placed equity and debt, and just one precious metal, that's gold, is 416 trillion US dollars. That's 166 times the value of the entire cryptocurrency universe. If just three quarters of 1% of global real estate or 2% of the global bond markets were tokenized, they would be as big as the entire global cryptocurrency market today. And this is starting to happen. Commercial real estate is being tokenized. Bonds are being tokenized. Collateral too, equities being issued in tokenized form. So are precious metals, fine art, private equity, mutual funds, and collectibles. Some of the largest asset managers in the world are funding the development of platforms to tokenize mutual funds in both London and Luxembourg. At a time when the core revenue source of the CSDs, namely publicly listed companies, is shrinking, tokenization is an opportunity which is very hard to ignore. And organizations just like yours are not ignoring it. The ISSA survey of custodian banks and exchanges, which I referred to earlier, compassed their sell and buy side clients. It found the numbers exploring blockchain had tripled in the last year. The number with live services had doubled. The value of the investments was up by a third. What were their biggest areas of interest? Bonds, ETFs, OTC equities, and mutual funds. The capabilities most affected, issuance, asset servicing, execution and settlement, collateral management. This is happening. It's happening to things that you do, and there are real reasons why it's happening. Tokenization cuts the cost of capital for issuers. It cuts the cost of transactions for investors. It broadens the range of asset classes that investors can buy, and it extends the number of investors that can take place in the market. For now, it remains laughably small. The data available, again, is less than ideal. But after sifting through three lists of tokenized offerings, I identified a total of 134 unique security token offerings in the last four years, raising a total of around 10.3 billion US dollars. Now that's less than one thousandth of the size of the current global equity markets. But one thing, as I said earlier, we've learned from the cryptocurrency markets is these markets can grow very fast. And two of the major obstacles to the growth of security tokens are now being cleared. First, stable coins have put the cash leg of token transactions onto blockchain networks. Very soon, central bank digital currencies will put central bank money onto blockchain networks. Secondly, regulatory uncertainty is dissipating. 
Generally speaking, security tokens are securities and existing securities laws apply. Law and regulation, in other words, is no barrier to tokenization. Questions of speed and of scalability do remain unanswered. And the solutions advanced so far, closed or permissioned networks, proof of stake rather than proof of work, sharding, nested blockchains, side chains, and so on. These techniques are not adequate to realize the full potential of tokenization on blockchain networks. Another problem to be solved is interoperability. Blockchain protocols themselves are diverging and they need tools to allow assets to move between them. And just such tools like FIN P2P are being developed now. Interoperability with traditional securities markets is going to be needed too. And it's gonna be needed for a long time because tokens are not going to replace existing security markets overnight either. Ways for buy-side firms to trade seamlessly across tokenized and traditional markets must be found and they will be because we already, we can see the new world converging with the old. Blockchain networks with securities markets, closed permissioned blockchains with open unpermissioned blockchains, unregulated firms with regulated firms. Across the world on average, 76% of blockchain companies already have a regulatory license of some sort. This is not the wild west anymore. Fanatical libertarian blockchain enthusiasts may still despise regulation, but blockchain-based companies are actively seeking regulatory licenses. In other words, being regulated already as you are provides no defense against disintermediation. You cannot hide behind your regulator. Your regulator is in fact is out there already ushering your future competitors within the same regulatory perimeter as you. In the future, what will eat the revenues of regulated incumbents is not unregulated challenges, but regulated challenges. Which brings me to the third and final challenge tokenization sets for CSDs. What innovations can CSDs adopt that will create new sources of revenue? As far as I can tell, most CSDs have yet to engage seriously with this question at all. A NASDAQ survey of market infrastructure CIOs in June this year found blockchain ranked in their list of priorities way behind AI, robotic process automation and the cloud. Two thirds to three quarters were doing nothing at all about blockchain. Now, of course, some CSDs have done and are doing things. Most of the moves depicted here are tightly focused on narrow problems, such as managing shorter settlement timetables. The bolder moves are being driven not by CSDs alone, but by the exchanges that own CSDs. Now, that's not unhelpful. A substantial majority of the CSDs in the Americas are owned or part-owned by exchanges. There's also a long and growing list of things that CSDs could do with blockchain tokenize their issuance services, provide digital wallets, governance, KYC checks, digital identities, validation, tax reporting, netting, standards, auctioneering, building a blockchain, taking on new asset classes. But some reticence about doing any of these things is understandable. The experience of ASX, a blockchain CSD project, has been delayed three times. And ID2S, a CSD startup, which had a discouraging experience is discouraging for everybody. Most CSDs are also small. They don't have the people or the money to throw at speculative blockchain projects. Most CSDs are also incumbents. The instinct to resist threats to skills acquired over a long period, valuable positions occupied for many years is perfectly natural. Inertia or an unwillingness or an inability to adapt to change circumstances is the default position of incumbents everywhere to which monopoly 
and most CSDs do occupy monopoly positions. Monopoly adds this special difficulty of having customers that are also for the most part inert. If customers are not defecting, that's only because they have nowhere else to go. It doesn't mean the threat doesn't exist or that you are not vulnerable to competitors who know their costs and can price their products accordingly, or above all, that your customers are actually satisfied with the service they're getting. At which point I'd like to leave you with this short clip from a webinar I moderated recently. Volume, Dominic. Dominic, we can't hear. Yes, but Viviana needs to unmute herself, not me. Do you think utilities still have a part to play in transforming this industry? Only if they transform themselves. Uh, and I'm starting to get worried about their 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 positioning, uh, to, to be honest. I mean, you look at SWIFT, you look at CLS, uh, you look at ECC, Euroclear, uh, you know, all, all the utilities we've grown up with, I think they need to start to articulate their, their future position. This ship is 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 about to, to, to leave the docks here and they need to jump on board. So, um, so yes, of course, um, if they do enable our transformation, uh, we will wholeheartedly embrace them, but uh, we, we can't let them slow us down either. So next slide, please, Viviana. Only if they transform themselves. Uh, and I'm starting to get worried about their 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 positioning, uh, to, to be honest. I mean, you look at SWIFT, you look at CLS, uh, you look at ECC, Euroclear, uh, you know, all, all the utilities we've grown up with, I think they need to start to articulate their, their future position. This ship is 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 about to, to, to leave the docks here and they need to jump on board. So, uh, so yes, of course, uh, if they do enable our transformation, uh, we will wholeheartedly embrace them, but uh, we, we can't let them slow us down either. I won't make you listen to that again. But there you have it uh, from Nadine Shakar, head of digital services at one of the biggest global custodian banks in the world. Transform yourselves, articulate your position or risk being left behind. Now, I hope these uh, opening remarks have, have been helpful to everybody listening. Uh, it's time now, uh, as Bruce outlined at the outset for our um, open discussion. To help facilitate that discussion, we're joined by two independent experts in the field of blockchain and securities. Andrea Tranquilini is an independent consultant and advisor to financial market infrastructures, planning their course towards the digitalization of the securities industry. He's something of an expert on CSDs, having only recently stepped down as CEO of ID2S, a Paris-based CSD for money market instruments, but also having worked at four other CSDs, Clearstream, Monte Tutali, uh, Globe Settle, and VP Lux. Jack McDonald is CEO of Standard, Trust, uh, Standard Custody and Trust Company, uh, a polyscience subsidiary that provides institutional grade custody uh, for digital assets. You might have noticed them on one of the earlier slides. 
Uh, Jack is a former president and CEO of the Conifer Group, a fund administration uh, business acquired by the Carlyle Group back in 2015, which he joined after a career in asset management with Schroders and UBS. But this conversation should not just be between the three of us. Uh, this is your uh, event uh, rather than ours. Uh, it's organized by AXTA for your benefit, and all three of us would welcome your questions and your comments uh, starting immediately. So do please uh, make use of the Q&A in the chat uh, to start asking questions and, and making comments right away. I'm not gonna save them up to the end, uh, but actually answer them um, as we go along. But just to get our, um, our discussion uh, underway, I'd like to ask the um, $50,000 question really, um, and I'll put this to you first, uh, Andrea. Is tokenization an existential threat to CSDs? In other words, am I, am I right or am I wrong to worry that their issuance, their settlement, their registration, their custody and their asset servicing roles are, if not in the near future, in the medium to long term, are redundant in fully tokenized security markets? Well, you, good evening, uh, good morning, good afternoon, depends on the location where you are, uh, everyone. And thank you for the question. I think uh, that um, uh, in, in the short term, I don't think it is a threat. <clears throat> I don't think it is a threat because CSDs need to still make their mind up with respect to what the future will be. They need to address the, the need of their clients and they need to react accordingly. Uh, I very much... Um, concur with what Nadine Shakar of State Street, uh, with a long past in, in Bank of New York actually, um, made the ship is leaving the dock. So time of reaction is there because otherwise in the long run, change in brought by the, um, the use of, uh, um, of DLT and tokenization will change will reshape the industry. Things will take time. There is a, a lot of um, things need to change. You, you express very clearly how the market infrastructure works today, which is very sequential. Blockchain, the, a new wave of spaghetti network, as we used to call it 20 years ago, 30 years ago, brought by DLT may change things uh, because things may happen simultaneously. And the financial market can be the result of something completely new, where things happen simultaneously, where exchange and um, functions are operated by the same legal entity than the CC that uh, function operated by a CCP, and so and so on. So, blockchain DLT can be uh, revolutionary, but not in the short term. It's a bit too early. People need to move anyway. They need to take a move. And no action will be suicidal anyway. Jack, um, what, Jack, one of the other things I said was that, that, that it's going to take a while, but these industries are, the traditional industry and the, the blockchain-based tokenized world are, are kind of converging. Um, so I, I, you may want to agree or disagree with, with Andrea's comments about whether this threat is real or not, but What's your instinct about what the timescale of this transition, this convergence, until we come out at the, end of the other end with a totally transformed uh, capital raising market? 
Uh, you're on mute, Jack, so don't forget to unmute yourself. That's well, I was just going to uh, thank you, first of all, for having me. And I thought your presentation was excellent, uh, by the way. Well, thanks um, for being with us. Yeah, I uh, just to Andrea's point, I um, my immediate reaction to your question was whether or not uh, tokenization, et cetera, represented a existential threat to CSDs. I view it more as an opportunity. I think back to decimalization in the, in the stock markets, where you could have argued that that was going to really fundamentally change uh, and perhaps in, in a very disruptive way how stock markets worked and we evolved uh, I think fairly quickly and efficiently and I think you know the whole uh, issue around uh, dematerialization etc uh, represents an opportunity for CSDs um, I've watched this digital asset industry evolve over time and at standard custody we preach evolution not revolution we're not the anarchists in wizard robes driving around trying to overthrow the government. Um, you know, quite the contrary, we're trying to operate within the traditional capital market system. And I do think that um, it will take time. Uh, there are incumbents who have business models that are premised on the uh, current and, and legacy framework. So they are gonna be slow to change, but there's a healthy tension because when large clients want to embrace and pull in the future, they're gonna push their service providers to do that as well. We've gone through a recent fundraising round where we spoke to many of the uh, large global uh, custodial banks. And the, uh, I'd make a couple observations. Three or five years ago, there was a lot of skepticism around Bitcoin, DLT, et cetera. Uh, three years ago, it was blockchain, yes, Bitcoin, maybe. Now that's a truism. I think most organizations think blockchain, DLT, absolutely here to stay. And there is a place for digital assets Cryptocurrencies, I would argue, is a, is a microcosm or a subset of that, but the broader tokenization opportunity is real. And, and these organizations are just trying to wrap their head around what that means and how quickly their organizations can change. From a demand perspective, to your point for your question, the common refrain we got uh, in terms of uh, an interest in investing now was more of a, uh, a learning mode, trying to understand what's going on. All these large organizations have digital asset swap teams in some form or another you know, that are looking at it and they're considering buy versus build uh, to get into it, but they will move more quickly when, they're when their clients really push them into it. So I think it is going to take some time. Absolutely agree uh, with Nadine and Andrea in terms of the ship has, has left the port here uh, unquestionably. And we can talk a little bit later, we're doing a number of, of proof of concepts with large organizations, large global asset managers, as well as uh, service providers, asset servicing firms, and, and the time is now uh, to be investing in the space. Um, so I think it's an opportunity that could become a threat if, if CSDs worldwide, you know, ignore the, the transformation. Yeah. Okay, we've got an interesting question from, from Claudio Calderon here, which I'll ask in a minute, but just Jack, could I just pick up the, the point you make about the institutions, the buy side, if you, if you like, driving the, the pace of adoption here, um, I was thinking about this, some of those figures I gave in one of those slides about the size of the equity and, and, and bond markets. You know, you've got a 120 trillion in the in the global bond markets, 105 trillion in the equity markets and 327 trillion in, in commercial real estate. So these institutions don't have to you know, increase their allocation much to, uh, to tokenized uh, assets before you get quite a significant change going on. One or two percent would, sure. would make a big market. Yeah, it's a absolutely monster uh, TAM or total addressable market. And I think what it really speaks to from both the buy and the sell side, but let's talk about the buy side for a moment. 
is ultimately when you think about the opportunity that the DLT uh, and digital assets represent, it's really about bringing greater liquidity and transparency to a universe of asset classes, broadly speaking. And if you can ease the friction that exists today for many asset classes, you invite a whole new uh, segment of investors, namely individual retail investors. It really speaks to the democratization of finance. Mm -hmm. And I think the buy side is looking at that uh, as everyone's industry is getting more competitive. This really opens up a potential floodgate of new investors if it can be done in a you know thoughtful thoughtful way, the other thing I would add is you know thinking back to to you know the, the conversation thus far this morning, I'd ask everyone to keep in the back of your mind this notion that that DLT and blockchains really uh, replace uh, trust with truth, and the question is how institutions buy or sell side can migrate to that sort of of ethos. I still think that institutions operate on a series of, of trust and to really move a, uh, a paradigm of the global capital markets to a completely trustless uh, uh, framework is a really big leap to take right now. So going back to the question, we can talk more about this. I think CSDs potentially could play a really vital role as a trusted independent counterparty there. Um, I think there's just the opportunity for them to, to evolve the, the underpinnings, the technology they embrace, et cetera, because ultimately the buy and sell side still operate on, on a framework that's premised on, on trust. So what you're really saying is that is that no matter how quickly institutions start to allocate assets to these to tokens, they're still going to want that paraphernalia of CSDs and fund administrators and custodian banks. Now, somebody is going to make them whole if something goes missing. They're going to need that for, for some time to come. So they're not going to be able to enjoy all the cost benefits immediately. At least in the interim, right? I think it will be a transitional or evolutionary thing. The, the, the individual <clears throat> retail segment can look at the whole DeFi movement, which is a peer-to-peer -peer network, essentially, where I do not need a trusted counterparty or an untrusted counterparty to sit in the middle between you and me, me lending you fiat, you lending me crypto, or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so the, I think the retail segment of, of the investor universe is there or going there more quickly. It stands to reason that institutions are going to be behind it. So I think there will be this multi-year evolution. I'm not sure whether or not 10 years from now, you know, Fidelity or the capital group or, you know, filling a, a large um, asset manager is trading with another without any counterparty in between. I, I don't I don't have the ability to think that far out to with any degree of certainty, but it's heading in that direction. Right. At my age, we need things to happen quickly. Otherwise, I, I get to miss them. Um, Andrea, perhaps you could give us some, and, and Jack has begun to touch on this, but uh, Claudio Calderon's question he, he says, considering that custody is, is included on DLT platforms holding tokens, what could be the added value that, that CSDs could give? So we're, we're in a situation, in fact, where there's a custody, kind of custody boom going on on the back of cryptocurrencies and, and increasingly tokens. You know, you, all those custodian banks getting into it, there's 50 vendors engaged in the process, including Jack's business. Um, where do where do where do the CSDs fit into the custody boom, if you like? I think that's what Claudia is asking, really. <clears throat> well, I, I think that um, um, by addressing the threat they are leaving in uh, in order to uh, address new services, CSDs must ensure first of all distribution. Uh, an issuer uh, is the is the decision maker if he wants to go for tokenized uh, issuance or not, is really the decision maker. And he does it on the basis of the fact he may have in front of himself 
a buy side which which has an appetite for this type of assets. Uh, if you live in a your participant of a CSD as an issuer as an IPA, and you live in a small ecosystem where there isn't um, this type of appetite, then easily the CSD is at risk because the issuer will go somewhere else to issue, where he has a buy side that is interested, is attracted by this type of instrument, and where this buy side may have an efficient secondary market. So, where the CSD can play a role there uh, is in uh, having an efficient ecosystem, so providing custody, but for a lar the, the largest possible number of participants, the, the most diversified. If you have a number of participants which are local, that are uh, not buying uh, assets, uh, or they are not diversifying their portfolio with type of assets, which may have a, a different form than the traditional one from paper-based dematerialized into the digital one, then you see that the, the CSD is facing the risk of disintermediation because issuers, the more and more, will go somewhere else. Not the case if you are a local issuer with a local buyer and then things will continue. That's where, in fact, the CSDs may face a risk and where the custodians, you mentioned the custodian, uh, custodial activity as a cornerstone, may have a huge role to play. Just on that local client based, are SMEs who like stocks maybe being traded OTC at the moment, are they a natural target? You know, so CSEs want to get ahead of this. Should they start chasing those small, medium-sized enterprises, the ones which may be slightly illiquid because they're not being traded on a major exchange? Is that a are they is that a tokenization? The, the point is, is the funding, right? So you need to ensure your funding and uh, and uh, who buys your asset need to ensure uh, an efficient secondary market liquidity. So otherwise it doesn't buy. Ultim the bottom line is that one. So an SME that doesn't have an efficient buy side in front would go somewhere else. Now, uh, Antonio Blasquez has, has asked an interesting question. Um, he says on the same line of, uh, as Claudia's question on value added by CSDs, would not interoperability be a key matter where a CSD can solve a market problem and remain in business? In other words, can CSDs play a role in, in enabling interoperability between blockchain networks, but also between blockchain networks and, and traditional exchanges? That means, I suppose, designing and then promoting um, data standards. Um, or maybe it means setting up a whole new utility in a market or a series of markets so that you can kind of um, translate from uh, one protocol to, to another. Um, uh, Andrea, I'm sure you've got views on this, but Jack, do you, do you see interoperability facilitating movement of assets between these different networks as being a key role for CSDs? I think it's critical. We are building, we've got two sides of our business under the parent polysign. We have standard custody and trust, the custody uh, business that you referenced earlier. And we also have a um, another business that is premised on providing a network of networks, uh, an interoperable blockchain between different protocols, analog and digital, to ultimately provide for instant atomic settlement of, of cross-asset class transfers. And the interoperability of that is key, particularly given the global nature uh, that is represented by digital assets and DLT. You know, for the first time, we really and we're we're a ways away from there. Well, I don't I don't uh, want to suggest that you know two years from now, 
uh, assets will be trading completely cross-border between all the different CSDs and exchanges around the world. But it's certainly heading in that direction. And this underlying technology provides for a way to do that. So if I were running a CSD, I would be thinking about how I can broaden my strategic scope to allow for interoperability and breaking down uh, the different barriers, structural barriers that exist uh, between different markets. Clearly, the regulatory compliance considerations need to be addressed. It's going to take some time for there to be a, an agreement there, common standards set, et cetera. But here's a perfect example of where the technology is, head, is ahead of, and I think years ahead of, uh, the actual practice that exists in capital markets today. So, Andrea, um, you know, CSDs have been among the first, for example, to adopt the ISO 2082 standard, yet there are all sorts of local variations of it. It got so bad that SWIFT had to set up a sort of harmonization chart to get them to sign that, saying, well, let's just try and stick to, to one standard rather than writing our own versions of, of the standard. And it's like the old joke, you know, the great thing about standards, there's so many of them to choose from. And that's a real issue now, isn't it? Because you've not just got this traditional markets problems, but you've also now got different blockchain protocols. So what's your answer to, to Antonio's question, which is, can CSDs solve this? Well, I think uh, at ID2S, uh, we, we had sort of uh, identified a solution for that. So um, CSDs leave out of several source of revenues, several flows. And we had been able to um, link um, these type of different flows that uh, we were ready to be fully digital by June 2022 through external API. Um, the concern and the advantage, if you want, in Europe is that settlement and the rule for settlement are defined by the Euro system that says today only off-chain settlement is possible. So we needed to translate any digital issuance uh, through an API into an electronic record for settlement in targeted securities. So this was what uh, uh, IT2S was ready to make uh, to put live by by June next year before our shareholder decided to pull the plug. But this is the the way to live with uh, an harmonized protocol and diversified uh, um, a mechanism. Of course, uh, we are f way far from an arm totally harmonized industry. Uh, we gone, we gone to three different generation of um, um, five series of SWIFT messages for security, so 3475, 1522, 2022. So uh, we are at the, at the dawn of a journey for what concern um, uh, the, the, the DLT. So uh, the, the unhomogeneous um, uh, protocols is... Uh, is, is the rule today, and we have to live with that. But through API that managed to create this interface and read the, the information as received from a digital uh, platform, we were able to, do to, to, to bring this instrument to life and to these volumes into target to securities. Mm -hmm. or we would have been able to be correct. Uh -huh. And did you, did you use artificial intelligence to try and read these, this unstructured data? People were sending you information in whatever format they chose, and you had to unscramble that and um, match it with. Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, in in uh, in the high level business requirement of this API. This should have been part of a, of uh, of uh, um, of the functioning of the API. So we never went there because uh, 
because uh, uh, because the, the journey was stopped. But yes, that was basically the, the fundamental. So the, the the idea was to to utilize AI to to read and translate these protocols in something harmonized. Well, I, there's a conversation going on now about standardizing APIs, of course, and I haven't failed to notice the securities industry has made pretty clear it isn't going to move to ISO 20802, so CSDs at least don't face that uh, problem in that form anyway. There's been, a, there's been another a, a question here, um, which takes in a slightly different um, direction. It's about the opportunities which CSDs have, and the question is, is tokenization more about the real asset classes than traditional equity bond markets in the short term, and how likely is it these asset classes will result uh, in new markets? In other words, do we expect tokenization to work first, as I think it appears to be doing in real estate, privately managed assets, precious metals, fine art, collectibles, uh, and so on. Jack, what's, what's your view about that? Is that where you think it's gonna start first? I, I do, and I think it speaks to uh, what I referenced earlier about some of the pain points that the, the, the lower hanging fruit, if you will, uh, represent around uh, transparency and liquidity. We have three uh, different POCs going on right now uh, with this settlement layer uh, that we're building. One of them is to create a digital feeder fund into an open-ended institutional real estate fund that a large asset manager has. And the CEO of that uh, organization wants to bring more products to, as he refers to them, the man and woman on the street who otherwise wouldn't be able to access this sort of real asset fund. But if you can bring a digital feeder represented in a token that would trade on exchanges that would offer liquidity whenever there's a, a buyer uh, for a seller, all of a sudden you've, you've opened up a whole new opportunity set uh, to individual investors. Another POC we have is around a very illiquid corporate bond uh, that is um, going to be tokenized. We're doing that for another asset manager. And the third is a uh, digital asset VC type fund that wants to uh, tokenize their, their fund and have essentially LP interest traded in, in token form. Um, real estate often comes up because of the illiquid nature of it. It's beneficial not only to the buy side, but also to the sell side. I used to run a fund administrator very cumbersome, uh, non-scalable type assets to uh, service. If you could envision a world where a real estate asset would trade uh, daily on an exchange or where you could get a mark, no longer you're in a situation as a fund administrator where you're having to have independent valuation, experts go out, value the property, reporting quarterly in arrears on a delayed basis by one or two months, it would just completely transform it. And so I think once those initiatives are um, made, uh, made more, common and the benefits seen, I think that will pave the way towards equity and credit uh, to start to trade that way. But yes, the short answer is it will it will start first with real assets, another type of illiquid and non-transparent type of, of asset classes. Back to your back to your previous life in the in the asset management industry, uh, one of the things I, I I thought might be a big opportunity, I mentioned this in the presentation, is is the mutual fund markets, not even the, the private equity or VC markets. Um, because you, you can envisage a, a, a tokenized fund market uh, occurring in which the, the value of the fund is, is there'll still be fund accountants cranking out net asset values. So it might end up a bit like the ETF market in which you've got a NAV calculation, but you've also got a secondary market in which these things are being traded. So instead of redeeming it on a principal uh, basis back to the fund manager, you actually sell it to somebody. Right. So you start to generate price information um, that way. And that 
strikes me as, and maybe even start to tokenize the underlying assets themselves, the securities which the fund holds, yes. um, which would obviously be a tremendous advantage in, in ETFs where you're having to settle transactions with the underlying assets in the first place. So how I, I, I detect in London, at least, quite a serious, and in Luxembourg, quite a serious discussion now beginning about this. As I said, asset managers putting money into token projects here. Are you seeing something similar in the United States? Or is the, uh, the NSCC going to dominate this forever? Uh, interestingly enough, um, our POCs that I referenced are all in Europe. Uh, one is in, uh, actually two are in the UK and one is in Luxembourg. Um, we just started talking to a uh, asset manager last week about tokenizing their fund. Mm -hmm. um, it feels to me like Europe is ahead of the US, at least in the, the travels um, that, that we're going through. Um, and I, I don't really know why that is. Uh, it might just be opportunistic, the people that we're speaking to, or if there's something more structural going on. As I mentioned earlier, I think there's going to be a lot of resistance by the incumbents. They don't want to be pronounced about resisting it. Everybody has to put on the facade, at least, whether it's it's true or not, of, of wanting to pull the future of finance forward. That was a plug for you, by the way, Dominic. Um, mm -hmm. But but really, you know, it, it, it's uh, it would be detrimental to one's brand to suggest that you know, they don't need to evolve and, and that they don't see the digital asset ecosystem coming. But the reality is uh, friction uh, within the legacy capital markets is advantageous for many. And so there will be this healthy tension there. Uh, but we are seeing more advancement outside of the U.S. right now. Could be the regulatory uh, framework that we have here vis-a-vis -vis, uh, other regions. Um, not quite sure. Um, Andrea, to, to the point that, that Jack has just made about, um, is a, a point I made as well, as you said, uh, about incumbents resisting change, that it's a very natural instinct to think that what mm. you're doing is valuable and, um, you know, you've been at it a long time and you don't want to kiss goodbye to it. I, I felt exactly the same when publishing was being destroyed. But, you know, CSDs are incumbents, they are often monopolies. Um, do they actually need to change their culture uh, in order to get ahead of <clears throat> this potential I'm not quite sure what I mean by a culture, but um, maybe a different. <clears throat> First of all, you use the word monopoly, right? So we, the CSEs come from uh, from decades in which they have been acting as monopolists, and then uh, since uh, 2014, with the creation of CSDR and uh, uh, the single market, in principle, they compete on issuer and investor uh, CSDA activities. So this is true. Uh, but uh, uh, only partly true because we know that there are a number of uh, um, of issuance uh, a certain type of instrument are concentrated or remain concentrated into uh, the ICSDs like uh, the Eurobonds despite Euronexis right now with the acquisition of four CSDs to use doubling as a listing place for issuance of Eurobonds in uh, in the four CSDs so try to challenge this this mechanism but uh, the um, absolutely the CSD must change must change what you call culture is going to be a bit traumatic because they have been conservative at the moment of uh, the entrance of um, uh, in, into force of CSDR. Now we speak uh, about something else than the regulation. We speak about new asset classes. So uh, and then uh, the market is there. So the most uh, advanced uh, will be able to attract the issuers and the buy side that will be interested in that portion of the industry that will evolve from a traditional conventional, either physical uh, or dematerialized into the digital. 
And this is what, uh, uh, in a real competitive market, makes the difference. If you're there, you you uh, you, um, you you ride you ride a horse and you bring home or you defend eventually issuance that will convert from a conventional model into a digital one. If you're not following, then where you that's uh, that's where you're losing. Um, I think CSDR created a, um, a first perception of competition by putting the rules, opening the bound the borders for everyone. But it's now that we compete on different on new asset classes that are evolutionary asset classes compared to uh, to the past. That things will change. Well, one of the benefits of CSDR for incumbent CSDs in Europe, at least, is you have to use a CSD. So you've got these tokenization platforms started, which find they have to use a CSD yeah. even though they don't need one. Um, but that uh, was a point I was trying to make about not, you know, hiding behind your regulator. Sorry, Jack. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that you know the the where we are right now, and I think it's it's predictable that we're in this interim phase where you've got a lot of advancement from, frankly, startup companies. Uh, that have been able to create a digital asset ecosystem and an infrastructure that moves very efficiently. The reality is we're still held back by some of the legacy infrastructures you just suggest where you have digital asset exchanges. I know one in the UK called Archax, the first uh, listed uh, or approved digital asset exchange. And we're talking, we're working with them on some of these POCs and mm -hmm. yet they have to still get off the new highway at an off-ramp to go to the CSD, dematerialize, move back to analog, and then out of analog back to digital for us to continue down the highway. And yeah. I just saw a the question from Montes as a post trader. I, I was just going to say that the, the yeah. guys at Montes, they saw a question from Martin come up, are addressing this and building a digital yeah. CSD. I think fascinating work that they're doing. And uh, I, I've really learned a lot about uh, how they, represent the the future digital csd um you know not not a uh, not a small task uh, to to understand and to overcome and i think they're doing great work there and i think you know yeah. we'll continue to see the innovation at those type of companies and so if i was an incumbent csd uh looking at the future i would watch very closely what montes and others are doing there yeah okay, andrea make your point then we'll deal with martin's question uh, sorry i didn't read the question so no, I, I, was, I thought you were going to add a point to what Jack was saying. Oh, yeah. Well, in fact, uh, in fact, I think that what is important for all these uh, um, newcomers uh, is to uh, understand what transition means, because uh, uh, building um, a portfolio of assets that ensure um, that you have a viable business for a CSD is a challenging exercise. So having an average assets under custody of, I don't know, 300 billion to, uh, <clears throat> to break even on an annual basis is an exercise that requires time and, and effort, a lot of funding. And you cannot do it by simply doing a few pocs or uh, by uh, centralizing few, few, um, uh, few issuance. So one of my points that I, I shared with the, uh, with Archax and with others is that it's very risky to start an ex exclusively a, a new digital CSD because you will burn your funding before breaking even. And then uh, most probably you leave, you leave 
five years at least to break even exclusively on digital assets. Knowing that you continue to invest in develop functionalities to extend your asset, the number of asset classes and the processes that you want to uh, offer through your digital CSD. So the, the chicken and exit is, is a situation of, of, of chicken and egg. So is digital issuance sufficient to allow you to break even in five years? Not even three, five years. Or you need, and that's where the incumbent are, uh, have, a, have a situation of privilege, you need to combine these new asset classes with the existing one. Because th th that's, that's a bit of a barrier to entry, not having the critical mass. The fact that, that, that there are many pox, but no significant continuous flow today, and they will not be in six months. So things will not change because because CSDs way to see, so way to see issuers to be more bold, and the issuers uh, want to be sure, and the investors want to be sure that they issue something which is distributed, and if it is distributed in a digital CSD that doesn't have an ecosystem, then then that's where the whole the whole machine stops. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so it's a fully digital is a bit um, risky. Mm -hmm. Well, let's let's deal with Martin's question, Martin Watkins' question here. This is an interesting one. Uh, what is the panel's view on morphing the demarcation lines between exchanges, venues, trading venues, and CSDs as digital securities are increasingly adopted? Now, a lot of the people listening today are working for CSDs, which are actually owned by exchanges. Maybe exchanges get into not just uh, you know um, uh, um, listing security tokens, but actually maybe they get into things like netting transactions and so on. They, the CSDs can start to expand into, into new roles. And Martin clearly sees uh, this line could be blurred to address the very point you've raised, um, Andrea, which is actually just building a CSD on a standalone basis and hoping to profit from tokenization. You'll probably go run out of money before that works. Uh, I, can tell yeah. you, I can tell you what we did with the, so with, with ID2S. With ID2S, we had created, um, so we, we, had, we had two companies. We had NowCP, which was a trading venue, which was fully based on traditional technology, and, and ID2S, which was partly based on blockchain and partly based on, but on, on conventional uh, technology. From a technological point of view, we could have built one single company. Everything was one single huge system, right? The barrier that we had was regulation. Regulation all today tells you that you need to have a trading venue, MIFID, Europe at least, CCP, MIR, and a CSD, a CSDR. So you need to have entities. Regulation is conceived exactly of what you said at the, at the beginning, Dominic, for processes which are sequential. And then risks are separated depending on the process as they are occurring today. So blockchain can blur these boundaries to the point of um, also of, um, of Martin, of course. The point is that how you address your, your governance, your, uh, your risk management processes uh, in, in a context in which one single legal, legal entity combines three different uh, function. Would the regulator allow that? 
that's that's uh, that's where you have an inhibitor, I believe. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, and I, I agree with that, Andrea, that by isolating the different functions, one is able to address the risk in a more um, in a more targeted way, right? The the flip that's side what of that it is, is today, right? It, yeah, right. That's right. But the flip side of that, this daisy chain of of um, sequential services that are each regulated are also inefficient. I think they were highly efficient. They were best of breed, whatever it was, 20, 50 years ago. Today, though, if you could just flick a switch, Coinbase, let's just pick on Coinbase, mm -hmm. essentially does all those things today. It's an exchange, it's a custodian, it's a settlement layer, it's a CSD, all wrapped in one. And that's a big threat to the regulators. They can't wrap their head around, not to mention that it's global. But the efficiency is there. And I would argue through smart contracts and other um, uh, opportunities that DLT represents, we could certainly see a better future, much more efficient, much more frictionless, much more cost-effective, all accruing to the, to the benefit of the ultimate end investor that may come to the detriment of some legacy service providers who love mm -hmm. friction. Their business model is dependent upon it. The question is, how do we cross that bridge? What threats oh, I, really I, exist, I, I, right? Yeah. And, and, and so it's going to take some time. But to Martin's question, the, the lines can absolutely blur. And, and I go no, back I, to I my- I mean, you will not, huh? Yeah, Sorry, I was but, probably not clear. I mean that think, from a technological point of view, you can do everything. On the contrary, right. you can go well below beyond the infrastructure as it is built today because of the existing regulation. You need to overcome the regulatory element because regulation is always behind technology. Uh, we, see that, uh, we see that in, in the European Union. Uh, things are possible, but regulation is not there. We have to, to only two countries where a DLT system providing notary services, as the one we had, is recognized as equivalent to a book country one. It's France, of course, and now recently Germany. But in, in, what, in no other European country, you can have um, a system like the one we had providing notary essential maintenance because it's not recognized as such. Right. And the question is, is the, is the market broadly defined ready to replace trust with truth? If we want a trust-based system, that's going to require a lot of regulation to, to uh, really bring that into it fruition and, and maintenance of an ongoing state. And that's what we have today, right? We trust yeah. one another. We trust the counterparties that we work with. I spend every day, a, port, a large portion of my day talking to prospective clients. And one of the questions we always get for our customers is, well, how much insurance is there? And what happens if all my assets get stolen? And so I tell them we're heavily insured through Marshall McLennan, et cetera. But I said, by the way, how much insurance do you have at your fill in the blank investment bank or global custodian? Well, we have civic insurance. Of course, you do. what's the limit on your account? It's $250,000. I said, do you knock on the door of Goldman Sachs or State Street every day and ask them what your insurance you know, parameters are, your limits? But there's this notion, there's this notion of trust that, and, and, and a trust that the government will back it and a trust that the regulator is there that's going to protect my assets. And I think in many cases, it's well-placed trust. The system has worked efficiently up until now. By and large, investor protection has worked well. And so I understand the tension between the current system and how we morph to this trustless system. And we see what's happening in DeFi, but again, DeFi is largely peer-to-peer. -peer. It's individual to individual. 
you've got some you know forward leaning hedge funds, crypto native investors, et cetera, who are in the space, but the big institutions are not yet ready to migrate from a trusted ecosystem to a trustless truth-based system. If you believe that the blockchain is an immutable source of truth, then you'd really, if you fully embrace that, that platform, that ecosystem, that ethos, you, you are effectively voting with your feet to say, I'm no longer relying upon the same trusted yeah. ecosystem that I've, that I've lived in up until now. And there will be, to, to Andrea's point, absolutely, a lot of regulatory uh, changes that must take place to migrate from one system to another. And that's going to take time and collaboration. When's the last time there were global collaboration around regulatory standards? Never. 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 Uh, it's no. a paradox. But I... We've had FATF and we've had the G30, I think. And it does, it does happen, even if the standards aren't always adopted in quite the, the right way. Um, I, just uh, I, listening to, to you, I'd like to move the conversation forward a little bit, which is that, um, Jack, you've been very clear that you think the answer to the, I mean, the, the, there is a real reason that functions are separate in traditional markets. The CSD is separate from the asset manager, is separate from the broker, is separate from the exchange, uh, uh, and so on. That's because of potential conflicts of interest which might arise. Uh, between those those groups. And for all the efficiency that, that a, an integrated model, centralized model like Coinbase brings, your answer to that really is that, is that you have to replace trust, that fragmentation of the value chain with truth, and that, and that will be um, kind of um, enough. But do we, do we think that, um, that regulators are, are buying that? My instinct is that, they, is that they, they're certainly open to that that possibility there are new ways of dealing with investor protection and financial stability which don't entail sticking with the system which you've which you've got um in in your you know, andrea you've been speaking to, to to regulators in europe for a while um and i guess jack you've spoken to quite a few in the in the united states do you get the feeling that they're they're getting the balance right between the need to innovate and the need to protect the system from bad actors and um, you know unforeseen accidents i i think the the intent and the commitment is absolutely there i think it's still a learning process for everybody in the industry not just the regulators for everybody i think the industry would benefit from greater regulatory clarity and i think there is still a little too much um resistance by the regulators to really lay out any guidance. And I understand why. They're, these are big rocks to move and there are potentially massive ramifications of letting down certain um, uh, you know, regulatory um, framework too quickly. But let me be clear, notwithstanding that I'm, I'm an advocate absolutely for replacing trust with truth because there will be a lot of benefits that will accrue to all the different market participants. I ultimately, and what we're doing at, at standard custody is trying to, to meet in the middle there. So we chose to be heavily regulated by the New York Department of Financial Services. We would like more regulatory clarity. We think it behooves organizations like ours to ultimately service individuals and institutions by being regulated. So I'm not advocating for global capital markets to be a regulation-free zone. I don't think that will work because I think there's still an element of trust in, in regulatory bodies that will provide a uh, ultimately a better framework for people. But I think they, um, the regulators need to be willing to stick their neck out a little bit more and to evolve with the industry. Because right now, 
technology has been moving so far ahead of the regulatory guidance that we're getting into a uh, potentially dangerous situation, I think. Um, and and that, 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 that's a, a real challenge here. And, and you know, it's, it's a common refrain that we don't want the regulators to stifle innovation. And it feels to me like that's happening right now in the digital asset ecosystem. And one of my predictions for next year is that we'll actually see some more regulatory clarity in the US, either from the, from the SEC or the OCC, et cetera. Andrea, what's the, what's the view from, from Europe, which our American friends could, could um, learn from, uh, negative or positive? <laughs> No, I think I think that the journey has been long since the Lisbon agenda in 2000, and especially after the crash of Lehman in 2008. So many, many things have, have happened. We requested us to the point of Jack to have a market which is heavily regulated or more regulated, let's say, and maybe not heavily regulated, but more regulated. And um, uh, as we said, it's inevitable that the regulator is uh, is a follower in uh, in uh, in the evolution of the financial market because it brings the decision power but doesn't doesn't have the knowledge that knowledge which is blur amongst ourselves sometimes so is uh, so establishing a new regulation for an evolving market is is a difficult exercise what i think is that um, despite i have noticed uh, the maximum collaboration i mean uh, um, I said the French regulator in which uh, we have been dealing with, or also uh, the people at the, uh, the ECB managing T2S were extremely open and encouraged and interested about what we were doing. I think we need to live in Europe with the fact that hundreds of millions have been spent to create a, to create a single engine based on conventional technology, which is T2 and T2S. And then now, now the European, the Europe, the, the euro system is working on a consolidation of T2 and T2S, which is again based on conventional uh, technology. There is an attention on um, um, central bank digital currency. There is a, an attention on the use of blockchain. There is a digital package which is being approved by the European institution. There is now a trialogue for the Mika and the Dora and uh, the DLT pilot regime is in advanced discussion too. But I think that uh, the Euro system, the European Union, works on the basis of the fact that hundreds of millions be spent on establishing a unique, harmonized European infrastructure. They say they are technological, so if it works at the moment, they're not particularly in a rush on in adopting DLT. It's easier, in my view, well, it's a paradox, in the UK which has taken the good of, uh, of the regulation, so it's, it's disciplined on the CSDR, but a single regulator and not 27 need to deal with uh, the financial market evolution. That's why I do believe that if there will be opportunities, they will be in the UK in the short term. Now we're into our last um, seven minutes or so, uh, and I, we need to we stop um, uh, on time. So I'd like to just put to each of you the, um, before we wrap up, the, the, the challenge I set in my presentation, which is that the thing to worry about is not what this is going to do to your business, but what's going to do to the marketplace as a whole. So you can ask yourself, where does my business fit into this? So what, what's your view of what is the efficient, let's call it the efficient securities market of the future? What does it, what's it going to look like, Jack, in your vision? 
it's going to have a number of aspects that are interoperable. I think it's going to be global in nature. So there's underpinning that going to be an element of regulatory standardization and um, collaboration. I think it is going to be instant. I think it's going to be atomic. I remember when we in the US went from T plus three settlement to T plus two settlement, it was a standing ovation, like a breakthrough moment. The reality is we could we can provide instant settlement today. So I think there will be this notion of instant and, and atomic settlement, right? So it's a pass fail. Either both um, sides of a transaction fail or they both pass. And the number of intermediaries that are required to process a trade will be fewer and leaner but I think there's still going to be a role for the sell side absolutely uh, to play. I don't think we'll end up in a completely peer-to-peer -peer counterparty free system, but it's gonna look different. It's gonna be more efficient and the uh, benefits will accrue to both the buy and the sell side, Invest, you know, investors, whether they're retail or institutional. And I think sell sides organizations while uh, leaner and smaller can be every bit as, as profitable and efficient, but it's gonna take some time. No. Jack, before I let you go, can we just a couple of other questions come in here? Um, uh, how does the financial business case look for the changes being discussed? Can DLT deliver cost efficiencies at revival transaction costs of high volume processes like DTCC? Otherwise, can we make this cheaper than DT settling custodying transactions and DTC managers today? The other question is, to the extent that CSDs can make their infrastructure interoperable with digital exchanges and CSDs, is it really necessary to specifically use DLT? International standards suggest strongly integration between systems should be based on standard messages. Can't digital exchanges and CSEs use 2022? And can 2022 be improved to support that? So three questions there for you. Will this be cheaper than what DTC does today? Do we have Absolutely. to Absolutely. Un unquestionably. We... <laughs> yeah. Okay. Un and cheaper, cheaper, faster, more scalable, more transparent, like light year, like can't even compare. Okay. So the business case is easy to make. Um, it, what about having to use DLT blockchain? I I don't know any better alternative, and I think it's it's universally it's capable of of doing everything on a global asset agnostic basic uh, basis. It's it's immutable. It's transparent. Uh, so mm -hmm. the, the, the speed answer is yes. scalability speed and scalability problems are solved. Are they? They, they're getting better and better every day. Absolutely. You look at the difference between, you know, Bitcoin and XRP, for example, it's incomparable and, you know, things that are Ethereum and Solana are doing, it will only continue to evolve. Yeah. Speed and scalability are, are um, more than heading in the right direction. Yeah. Last question. You're a fan of standards, international standards to improve these data exchanges. Uh, they'd be terrific. It, it takes, it's hard work to get there. But, okay. uh, so Andrea, yeah, Andre, we've got to stop in a minute, I'm afraid, Jack, in a couple of minutes. Andrea, just last word from you. Is the business case unarguable? Uh, one, do we have to use blockchain? Two, and our standards the answer? They are part of, a large part of the answer. I think the business case is there. And DLT, blockchain, I think there is no better answer at the moment to the point of Jack, absolutely. We, we proved that it, it is possible and it was successful. Scalability is not an issue because we, we managed to process 1,000 transactions per second. So. It was good. I would add a couple of adjectives to what Jack mentioned being the potential market of the future. I would say horizontal because the verticality of the silo as we know it today probably will be dismantled by the fact that technology allowed different type of processing through, through smart contracts. And uh, I would um, 
I would definitely say interoperable in the sense that DLT will speak and as it does already with different technologies today. And we go, we will not, there will not be a revolution into a full DLT financial market infrastructure in the future, despite what uh, Percival may like or may want. <laughs> but I think we need to live with uh, interoperability with a new generation of API that technology need to speak with each other. And possibly, and probably, market will be instant, but there will be a two-speed. Global players and local players. Thanks, Andrea. We must stop there, sadly. I'm going to hand over to, to Javier Hara, who wants to say uh, a word before we close off. Over to you, Javier. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, as an extra chairman, I would like to thank uh, to Jack, to Andrea, Chris, and particularly to Dominic for all your support to this event. For our participants, it's very, very important this kind of uh, discussion. And also, not just because it could be our survival as an industry, because of course we have to, to deal with the, the new challenge and new target for, for the future of our company. So, Honestly, thank you very much for your time for, to, to participate in this event, uh, to Domic, to, to, to trust in AXA again, uh, in order to, to organize this webinar. I'm going to switch to Spanish, so sorry for, for, for one second. Quisiera darle las gracias a todos nuestros miembros uh, por participar el día de hoy. Creo que ha sido un evento Eh, increíble, eh, la participación también ha sido gigante, así es que agradecerles a todos por participar, a, a Viviana y a Bruce por, por la colaboración en términos de organizar este evento y por supuesto eh, tenemos también un roadmap de, de nuevos webinars que, que esperamos contribuyan a, al fortalecimiento del conocimiento que es uno de los objetivos que tiene AXDA Eh, puestos en, en esta forma de poder interactuar a través de estos medios. Así que a todos un abrazo, gracias nuevamente. I'm back to you, Dominic, to make the closing. I say just to, to thanks to all uh, our members to participate in, the, in this event. So if you want to make the closing or Bruce, uh, the floor is yours again. Uh, Javier, I just wanted to make a, a comment maybe for uh, version two of this, I think it would be I was very interested in what Jack and Andrea and Dominic had to say. I think it would be equally interesting to have another discussion along this line, but uh, maybe have a couple of panelists that uh, were thinking in a different direction in terms of uh, what the market looks like. To have uh, a little friction in, uh, in the discussion might uh, make for an interesting dynamic because Obviously, not everyone is in the on board, or not everyone has drunk the Kool Aid, as they they say. It's going to take some convincing and a lot of discussion around how long this uh, evolution or revolution is going to uh, going to take. And I think uh, ASC's false starts in in this world have caused a lot of people to sort of back off and be <laughs> looking from the sidelines. Uh, uh, at the moment to, to see how, how things emerge. But I, I think a follow-up discussion would be really interesting and bring a couple of people into the discussion that maybe don't share uh, uh, or have views that are exactly aligned with uh, those of Jack and uh, Andrea. But uh, 
really interesting discussion. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Dominic, you get the final word here. Well, um, thank you, Javier. Thank you, Bruce, for inviting us to, to talk to you today. Thank you to Chris for, for making it possible for us to do that, to invest the time. A big thanks to Jack for, for turning up on Thanksgiving, after all, uh, very early in the morning there in California. Really appreciate that, Jack. Uh, and thank you, um, Andrea. I think um, you, you find yourself in a very um, interesting uh, role uh, helping CSDs of the world to, um, to come to terms with, with what's happening on the basis of your experience. So, uh, and thank you also to the audience for, for listening and for your questions. And uh, if we can help again in the future, we'd be delighted to do so. But thank you and goodbye. Thank you.